This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. My name's John. Um, we've been here for about three years now. I'm an MDiv student at Trinity. Um, if you haven't met me, um, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9 this morning. The book of Proverbs is divided in basically a couple main sections, and this is the end of the first uh, big section of Proverbs. So just to, to recap a little bit, Proverbs begins with an exhortation, and it develops throughout this section um, with kind of questions about what does it mean to live wisely? And that initial exhortation is that the, be- that the beginning of wi- fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that helps sort of begin to frame everything else that Proverbs is going to tell us. And when we look, when we look at these, these first nine chapters, there, there's a few questions that sort of implicitly come out in what the, what the author is telling us or asking us to think about. He asks us to think about what is it that we're seeking? What are we, what are we going after? What are we looking for in life? What are our priorities? What is it that drives you above all? Who are you associating with? All of these questions kind of help to to develop this idea of of what is is primary in your life and and how are you seeking after that. And again, the the theme or the kind of this, this main point that runs throughout Proverbs 1 through 9 and even into the rest of the book is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. We may not be as comfortable with talking about fearing God in our culture and society as they probably would have been back in in this culture when Proverbs was written. Um, We want to have more of a kind of a casual relationship with God. Uh, just very, very casual. We, we want to be, and, and of course, we rightly think of ourselves as when we're Christians, when we're in Christ, we, are, we become friends of God. And, and that, that is something that should not overshadow the reality that God is the righteous, sovereign judge of the universe, and that we have to hold these things in tension because it's a proper fear of the Lord that drives us to live in a way that pleases Him, that honors Him. And, and that is what we see as living wisely in the book of Proverbs. So when we think of, of this idea of wisdom, we have to define it a little bit because wisdom can be thought of almost in a more heady sense, or it can be thought of as just things that you know, how much you know, how much you understand. And that's really not at all how we see wisdom used in the book of Proverbs. And so throughout this section, we've, we've seen that wisdom is defined 
by how you act. So what you know is only, only part of wisdom. But wisdom takes shape and it becomes a reality in your life when you live it out. And, and so to be wise is to act in a way that's in line with, with God's wisdom. So we can kind of mix up the idea of wisdom with maybe other kind of the philosophical idea of, of knowing and understanding, but that's not what we're talking about in, in Proverbs. You know, the Hebrews had a more kind of holistic idea of what wisdom is, and the body, mind, and soul, everything you think, everything you do is connected, and that's what it means to, to be wise, is to live that out. The other term that we see in, throughout the, the book of Proverbs is this idea of folly, we don't use that term as often. We, we might use the term foolish, but again, it's, it's not a, as common for us. And, and folly or foolishness is pitted against wisdom. And, and I think the best way to understand folly and foolishness is not just by doing something that's wrong or foolish, but by where that action leads you. So, so f- folly is, is not just kind of the, the, the point of action, but it's the trajectory of those kinds of actions. And, and so in the same way we see wisdom and folly, they're, they're pointing in separate directions. And, and we, that contrast is what's being developed. So when we get to chapter 9, we're, we're kind of wrapping up uh, this this portion of the book, and this is what we would call sort of the long portion of Proverbs. After this, it gets really, really short, kind of one, two-verse uh, wise sayings. Uh, it's, it's, it changes dramatically after this chapter. And so I see the, this first section as sort of preparing us, preparing us to, to think about why we want to know these things, why all these wise sayings are important, you know, what value do they have? And and so we've been warned in this first section, we've been encouraged, we've been exhorted, Um, we've been sort of given a picture of the good life through wisdom and a picture of where foolishness leads. Wisdom leads to life, foolishness leads to death. So in chapter 9, we see sort of the final, uh, final contrast between wisdom and folly. And they're, they're personified as, as two different women. And so we're going we're gonna to start by comparing these two descriptions. And then we're actually going to work our way from the beginning and end to the middle of the passage. Because in Hebrew literature, you often find that the main point is right smack in the middle of a passage or of a section. So it's kind of like, I don't know, like an Oreo cookie. I mean, the, the center is what you want. Nobody throws out the center and just eats the you know, dry chocolate cookies. You want to get to that cream. So that's what we're getting to. We're going to work our way to the center, and we want to understand how that middle portion fits in what, what the author is saying here. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Proverbs. Uh, Father, we desire to be wise. We desire to honor you. 
We pray that you would enlighten us as we, as we read and talk about your word this morning, that you would give us a renewed um, zeal to please you, to walk in wisdom, and to see your name glorified in our lives. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start Romans, I mean Romans, man, I went there quick. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts, or I would say prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. So when we see a picture begin to develop, the picture is kind of the, the, the basis for whatever theological truth we're going to discover in, in, in wisdom literature. So, so the picture is important. And, and when we look at wisdom, we see a few things begin to stand out. We see that wisdom is someone who is industrious and creative. It says that she's built her house, she's hewn her seven pillars, seven being a number of completion. Um, we don't know exactly what this means, what, where you would have seven pillars. It could be just speaking to sort of the wealth of wisdom. A house with seven pillars would be a very uh, wealthy, rich kind of, kind of house. Um, it says that she has prepared a meal, meat, mixed wine. She set the table. This, this is a meal. This is, is sort of like a feast. It's a, it's, it's a little bit of a fancy meal that we're describing. It's not just a common, you know, mixed wine is probably the idea of, of something, you know, mixed with some kind of herbs or, you know, it's, it's fancy, right? It's not your, your two-buck chuck. And so she's set her table, she has everything ready, and she's sent out the young women to call from the highest places in town. So, so this is a legitimate feast set up, and the, the wealth of wisdom is, is what's really on display here because there's young maidens, young women who are going out um, to the community to invite all of those in the community. And what we're going to do is we're going to contrast this with woman folly. So kind of keep, all, keep this picture in mind as we're going through it. She says... Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense. Now that doesn't, doesn't sound like a very um, friendly type of inviting, of invitation. Um, but we understand what she's saying. She's saying those who want to learn, those who want to, to grow in wisdom, the invitation is there to come. Wisdom invites all who are in need. Just like James tells us, if if anyone desires wisdom, you know, let him ask, but ask in faith. And so she says, come, eat of the bread, drink of the wine, leave your simple ways, and live. So wisdom offers to the simple a way of life, 
to, to turn from this way of with a lack of understanding or naivety and to turn to this way of life, insight, wisdom, understanding. So now that we have that picture in mind, we're going we're gonna to jump to verse 13 and we're going to look at the contrast of the woman folly or the woman of foolishness. It says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive, or it could mean simple, and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and takes a seat on the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So we begin to see the contrast. Folly, we start right away with she's loud, or the word is, is literally used to mean roaring sometimes. She's, she's brash. She's, she's kind of rowdy. She's, she, she makes like a, a clamorous commotion. It says she's, she's seductive or simple and knows nothing. So somebody who doesn't really have anything to say, but is really confident in saying it. She doesn't, what she says makes no sense. It's, it's no good, but she says it loudly. She speaks also from a prominent position. It says she takes a seat on the highest places of the town. So when we, when we look at the comparison, we start to see a few things that are the same between wisdom and folly. And one of them is they both have this, this idea of speaking from the highest place. So there, there's a, even folly can be given a place of prominence. Foolish ideas can come sort of straight from the top also. We have to be aware of that. And it says that those who pass by, so, so woman folly does all of her speaking kind of by herself is the idea. She's, she's sort of being presented as, I wouldn't say exactly a, a poor woman, but not with the same kind of, of opulence that woman wisdom has. So, as we, as we move our way down, we see that she, her food is, is stolen. It's not even her own. What, what folly has to offer is not even legitimate. It's stolen. And it's just bread and water. But yet, that is being offered in a way to sort of tantalize the flesh. What, you know, bread eaten in secret is pleasant, stolen water is sweet. So, so you kind of see that folly is trying to sell something very, very basic and lowly, but she's trying to make it sound better, right? And, and that's, what, that's what foolishness or worldly, we would call worldly wisdom, tries to do. And, and so as we, as we look at the contrast, Folly is trying to sort of bait individuals off of the straight path. So she's waiting there. She's saying she's loud. She, she makes a lot of noise. Those who are going straight are 
in danger of turning and walking off the path towards folly. So they both call from high places in the city. They both, have, they both can have a seat of prominence. But what folly offers isn't her own. What wisdom offers is this beautiful feast prepared. The most, the most kind of interesting thing in the comparison is they have the exact same message. The wording is exactly the same. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And, and that's what I think we are to sort of focus on and key in on because it's, it's in the center of, of both of the, the dialogues or the descriptions. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Wisdom brings, those, brings us in as those who, who need to gain understanding, and she, she gives it. She sends you out better than you came in, whereas folly is seeking to use simplicity in order to take advantage of someone. So that's our comparison between woman wisdom and woman folly. They have some, they have some similarities, and I think that the picture I see here is that folly can take the form of counterfeit wisdom. We don't always recognize foolishness. It can be very, very close to true wisdom. So just a kind of a quick example. Both biblical wisdom and worldly wisdom would sort of preach this idea of love. Love each other. Love one another. When we look at it in terms of worldly wisdom, what that means is very different than what biblical wisdom would say about love. And so the world would say love exalts everything about the person. It allows the person to be whoever and whatever they want to be without, without any looking to how that might affect them in the long run. And so worldly love is sort of a, a short-sighted celebration of personal identity. Biblical love, on the other hand, or godly love, seeks the best for a person, even if that sometimes means dealing with the destructiveness of sin in someone's life. So biblical love seeks to warn, it seeks to correct, and it offers freedom from the power of sin in Christ. And so genuine biblical love in true wisdom seeks the thriving of the individual rather than simply making someone feel good in the moment. And so that's, that's kind of an example of how it can sound, they can have the same message, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, but only one of them leads to life. And that's what we're, that's what we're trying to be careful of when we encounter ideas within the world. We want to bring them to the Word, and we want to make sure that they align any idea that we are acting on aligns with God's wisdom. So we have our comparison. We have kind of the, 
the outside of this unit, and then we get to the inside, which again is broken up into three sections. So the first section, verses 7 through 9, seems sort of like a, a radical shift in content here. So let's, let's read that first section, verses 7 through 9. It says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So the big question is, is how, how does this function within a passage like this? It seems to really break from what we're talking about. Now it's as if instead of talking about someone receiving wisdom or rejecting folly, we're talking about someone trying to give or teach wisdom and how they should go about doing that, seeking to communicate wisdom. So I think that, I think that when we look at this passage especially now that we're coming to the end of this section in Proverbs chapter 9, what we need to understand is the, the author is communicating that those who partake of wisdom don't just partake for their own benefit, they partake to then give out. They take in and then they, they spread that same wisdom throughout the community. And, and we have to think of, of this in terms of the communal mindset because that's how everything works. It's, it's not on an individual level. Everything is connected within the community. And so I look at this in a couple ways. This, this portion anticipates that those who respond to the call of wisdom will become ambassadors of wisdom. And I think that's, that's pretty easy to, to see that it's true. When you... Even when you receive the, the wisdom of God in the gospel, immediately you're seeking to communicate that wisdom to others. When you, when you find you know, some kind of treasure like that, you want to share it. And so there is a danger for those who have received wisdom and are then seeking to share that with others because someone who is called here a scoffer or a mocker can easily sort of drag down the wisdom that you've received. And I guess I kind of I kind of think of this in terms of when I was, you know, a, a young believer, when I was just starting to to really seek after uh, walking in Christ. Um, I, I I was very into apologetic ministry stuff. It was it was really helpful for me to to read apologetics and to have certain things confirmed in my faith or, or to understand things about my faith. And I immediately wanted to take those arguments and then use them in my evangelism. And I was convinced that if I just had, you know, 10 minutes, I could argue anyone into the kingdom. Now, I've grown since then, and I, I know that's not true. Um, but I, I wanted to, sh to share that wisdom that I had received. 
And I remember, I mean, a lot of conversations going sideways, but I remember specifically one conversation um, with a guy. It was, we were doing some street evangelism, and, you know, he was, he was sort of kind of like chuckling at us, you know, kind of scoffing at what we were saying. Um, and he was apparently some, I, I don't know what he was. He said he was a, he, he said he was a world-renowned atheist. That's what he told me. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. I never gave me his name. But I, I thought, oh, I'm going to ask him this question. I, it was something about science. I don't know. I thought, prove the Bible. And I, I asked him the question, and he immediately just fired something back that I had no answer for. And just kind of stood there, like, looking dumb. And, and so it, it made me think, you know, I, I had... I had I could have read the situation and been like you know this is not the time and place you know to have this conversation with this guy he's he's clearly um, not in the mood for us right now but I, I pushed it and and I I just ended up you know looking silly looking foolish actually um, so it makes me think that this is this is a a warning um, not only to basically help people redeem the time in a sense, but also to protect those young people who are developing their understanding of God's wisdom and then seeking to become part of of the wise community and seeking to share that wisdom. And he's saying, be careful because depending on who you share it with, it can actually be dangerous um, to your, your understanding of wisdom. Because a scoffer or a mocker is not just someone who, who doesn't agree with you, but is going to sort of fight against what you're saying. And those who are young in wisdom may not be ready for that kind of conversation or discussion. And so he's saying, be careful. Be careful with who you, you share this with. Don't reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So I think that this is, is not saying that we should, you know, never have a conversation with someone who kind of laughs or mocks at, at godly wisdom, but it's saying be careful in how you approach these kind of situations and know that there's a time to just walk away and say this isn't going to be this isn't going to be fruitful. So we're anticipating now that those who are receiving wisdom will want to share that wisdom because wisdom is not just something to be consumed. It's something that should sort of multiply and spread throughout the community, but it needs to happen in a way that is uh, fruitful. And, And so he says, don't don't go after those who are scoffing and mocking. He says, speak to those who are willing to listen. And then I'm going to skip over the, the middle portion again, which is in verse 10. And we're going to go down to the last portion of the middle in 11 and 12. And we see wisdom's voice show up again. And it says, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So now we kind of of switch back 
to looking at the, the reader as the receiver of wisdom. And it's a warning now for the reader to receive wisdom, to be wise, because if you're wise, it will benefit you, wise for yourself. If you scoff, you'll bear the consequences of that. And so this is a reminder that your foolishness, although it will affect the community, and we see that all throughout Proverbs, in the end, you'll bear the consequences for that foolishness. So you see how he's kind of, he's kind of using the same concepts. He's kind of He's speaking then to the reader as a, a, someone who shares wisdom, and then now it flips back to the reader as someone who receives wisdom, and then we'll move to that middle section, which we know very well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So if you ask me how I think Proverbs 1 through 9 ends, I'll actually say in verse 10 because that's the very center of this passage, and that's how the book of Proverbs began in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So this statement as the focal point, it, it continues to color how we view the way that we receive wisdom, how we act, um, if we don't fear the Lord, what is to stop us from acting foolishly? If we don't have a healthy fear of God, then, you know, why do what he says is wise? I mean, you, you can't. You can't get to that point unless you truly believe that God is who he is and you truly respect and fear him. Even Jesus speaks of that. Don't just fear him who can kill the body, but fear God, the healthy respect for who God is. So I would say that, that Proverbs 1 through 9 really sets us up for success. As we get into the rest of this book, it sets us up to understand what is the purpose of wisdom. It's to protect, it's to guide it's to allow the community to be, to be bonded by these common ideas that are healthy, that, that allow for thriving in the individual and, and within God's people. And so it sets us up to understand what are the dangers of going after something that is not wisdom. We see kind of what the allure of folly is and how foolish it is to go after those things. And so every Christian should be committed to obtaining this kind of wisdom. And not only obtaining it, but as we see in this last, in the middle of this section, stewarding godly wisdom because wisdom is what allows the community and the individual to thrive. And Proverbs is a book about thriving. Wisdom allows us to live the good life that God has given for us. It keeps us from going down the path that looks good, but ends in death. So, we need to be able to discern these two voices. 
we need to recognize that there might be similarities. When the world says something, we need to look closely at what the world is saying. When we read something uh, in the news, on social media, we need to look closely at it. We need to, we need to understand no matter where it comes from, whether a place of, of prominence, whether some other place, that it has to be brought back to God's word. And we know that it won't, it won't satisfy unless it is from the word of God, unless it aligns with who God is, and unless we know that it's true because of his wisdom. And wisdom, lastly, is not just about what you know, it's about who you are and what you do. Somebody who knows everything is not necessarily wise. It is somebody who acts on that wisdom. So let us be careful not to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're wise because we simply know right from wrong. We have to act on that through the power of God's Spirit, which He's given us. And so that's the, the beauty of reading Proverbs. We read it through the lens of the new covenant and knowing that the Spirit of God has been given to us, the Spirit of wisdom, in order to empower us and make us able to discern what is foolishness and what is true wisdom and then to act on it. So let us meditate on the word. Let us live faithfully according to what God says is wise and let us be careful. Let us be aware of counterfeit wisdom, folly, that is masquerading as wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for true wisdom. We thank you for um, your spirit who guides us into, into all truth. We pray, Father, that you would continue to give, us, give our heart a desire to live in a way um, that helps us and the community of your people thrive. I pray that we would act wisely in our, our relationships. I pray that we would act wisely in our jobs and in our families. And I pray that you would use us to testify of your wisdom to those around us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy as we seek to do this. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.